Welcome in. It's Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines here on a Friday. Glad to be with you. Basketball last night, basketball tonight, basketball tomorrow, basketball coming up on a Sunday as well. It is the NCAA tournament in full swing. Sweet 16 day number two coming up tonight. Of course, I will get to Iowa State and the Canes. Gotta love it that it's the Clones and the Canes, the Cyclones and Hurricanes playing in the Windy City coming up tonight in the Sweet 16. Gotta love that. But before we get to anything, um, I, I the NFL is having the craziest offseason in the history of the league. Uh, so much is going on, whether it's Tom Brady retiring and Tom Brady coming back, whether it's Russell Wilson getting traded from Seattle to Denver, the Aaron Rodgers drama, the Deshaun Watson situation, which is a conversation all in itself. And we'll try to get to that before we get out of here uh, coming up at one o'clock. But of the teams that most people in Des Moines care about, there are the big five, the Cowboys, the Bears, the Vikings, my Green Bay Packers, and of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. And Kansas City has had themselves a very interesting well, I guess an interesting week, wouldn't you say? They had Juju Smith-Schuster. That was no real surprise, but I think the Chiefs knew what some of us did not until a couple of days ago, and that was the fact that Tyreek Hill was going to be on his way out. And that is a its a shocker, and it sends you know, shock waves around the National Football League. You were talking about one of the top five, top ten wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, some people would say, the most important or most explosive non-quarterback in the NFL. I think Debo Samuel would have something to say about that out in San Francisco. But regardless, Tyreek Hill is incredible. Fastest guy in the league. Explosive all over the field. Patrick Mahomes' favorite or second favorite target. You know the deuces he throws up when he goes into the end zone. I mean, I enjoy watching Tyreek Hill play on the field. I don't know if he's that good of a person, But I know from a football perspective, there aren't too many wide receivers better in the NFL. And this on the heels of Devontae Adams getting traded from Green Bay to Vegas. Now Tyreek Hill gets traded for a ton of picks coming back from Miami. The Dolphins add Tyreek Hill. And it it goes to show you a couple of things. One, some teams are desperate for a wide receiver. Teams that aren't there yet, haven't climbed the mountain or haven't gotten to the mountaintop are often desperate and will give up a lot to try to let the world know that they are for real. That team is Miami. You know, they, they the season they had last year, they lost a ton in the beginning of the year. They won a bunch to end the year. There are a lot of question marks around their, their quarterback, Tua Tugavailoa, but there are also a lot of weapons around Tua Tugavailoa, but nobody has big, big named because Tyreek Hill is not a big dude, but nobody has big named and explosive as Tyreek Hill. So they, they show, they try to show the world that they matter. I still think the Dolphins are the third best team in the AFC East behind Buffalo and New England, but they want a seat at the table. They want to get to the postseason, and Miami thinks, or Miami thought, we're one wide receiver away from playing in the, the the big boy pool. All right, fine. You make this move. You sacrifice five draft picks, including a first-rounder this year and some second-rounders. I mean, what they gave up for Kansas uh, for, for Tyreek Hill to Kansas City 
was an incredible amount of draft capital. You don't see that unless a team is going all in. Counterpoint to that, going all in for a wide receiver when you're not a playoff team the year before seems to me to be bad football. Giving up five picks spread out over this year and next year's draft is bad football management. And I think that's exactly what this is. I have been trying to say this, or I have been saying this, and trying to tell you for a long, long time. One wide receiver, all wide receivers, wide receivers don't make that big of a difference, especially when you pay them a crap ton of money. Now, I realize Miami is still working on a lot of rookie deals. Jalen Waddle's rookie deal, and of course, Tua's a rookie deal, and that's the formula to win in the NFL these days. Win on a rookie deal. That way you can afford to pay guys like Tyreek Hill, who you acquired for five draft picks, $30 million a year. He saw the deal that the Raiders were giving Devontae Adams, and he wanted to up that. Here's ESPN's Adam Schefter. Tyreek Hill wanted a deal to beat the Devontae Adams deal. And Kansas City has so many needs and is paying so many players so much money, like Patrick Mahomes, that you can't pay your wide receiver quarterback money and pay your quarterback elite money and think that you can field a team. And so as much as the Chiefs would have liked to have kept Tyreek Hill, they also know he's 28 years old. So do they want to invest in a 28-year-old wide receiver? Or do they want to essentially start over from scratch at the wide receiver position with younger, cheaper? And that's what they decided to do. They got back five picks from the Miami Dolphins, a first, a second, and a fourth this year. They got back a four and a six next year. So there's five picks in all for the Chiefs to go get other wide receivers. Let's keep in mind uh, that Juju Smith-Schuster just signed there last week. He, right now, he's KC wide receiver one. They've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling there today visiting. Could be another addition. Could end up drafting, and I would expect will wind up drafting, uh, wide receivers. And so they're essentially remaking that position rather than mm-hmm. repaying Tyreek Hill. So now he gets $30 million a year to go ahead and catch passes from Tua. The problem is the best thing that Tyreek Hill does is run away from people and get down the field. Tua doesn't have a very strong arm. I mean, I've seen video of Patrick Mahomes throw the ball outside. Check that. Throw the ball out of Arrowhead. I'm not even kidding. There's video of him throwing the ball out of Arrowhead over the wall into the parking lot. Tua can't do that. There are certain guys with cannons for arm. Josh Allen has a cannon. Aaron Rodgers has a cannon. Patrick Mahomes has a cannon. That's not Tua's thing. Tua's an accurate passer for short and intermediate routes, but Tua's not a deep ball thrower. So to bring this, I mean, they better have a lot of schemes where they're figuring out a way 20 yards and in to get Tyreek Hill the ball so that he can operate in space and get away from defenders. Because what they have decided to do now is bring in a guy whose number one skill set is getting downfield, but you pair him with a quarterback who can't throw downfield. Again, bad football management, in my opinion. You're going from, and I hope the money's worth it to him because that's really all that matters. He lives in Miami year round. Uh, he's going to go and, you know, state for uh, income tax free state that is Florida. He's going to see pretty much every nickel of that in the statewide. Um, but here's what you're going from. I mean, you're going from Patrick Mahomes, who you could argue is the best quarterback in the National Football League or a top two or three quarterback in the NFL, who 
was 10th in the league uh, in passer rating last year. And that's a bad year for Mahomes. That's a bad year for Mahomes to be 10th in passer rating. Two at 19th in passer rating. Mahomes was 4th in the NFL in passing yards, 4,800 passing yards. Tua was 27th. Now, he did miss four games. But to go from a guy who throws the ball all over the field in that offense, and who knows what Mike McDaniel's offense is going to look like in, in Miami, to this offense, you know, to go from Andy Reid to Mike McDaniel's, whew, hope that money's going to be worth it. Tua was 23rd in the NFL in passing touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes was fourth. He threw 37 touchdowns. And again, that's a down year for Mahomes. Uh, Completion percentage. It doesn't matter how many games you play. This is actually where, according to Tyreek Hill, Tua stands out. Tua is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL, man. So just his ball placement, you know, getting us the ball in space, you know, perfect placement, you know, and us just utilizing our speed, you know, um, utilizing our best asset, you know, and that's just being dangerous. Tua was seventh in the NFL last year in completion percentage. Patrick Mahomes was 17th, 68% versus 66%. So the difference, very, very small, minimally between the two spots, seventh and 17th, and then passing yards per game, Tua 204, uh, Patrick Mahomes 284. So you're literally going from an offense that likes to throw the ball all over the yard with a quarterback who likes to throw the ball all over the yard to going to an offense who we don't know what it's going to look like in year one of this new head coach. Of course, the Brian Flores era is is over. Um, I, I, I just, this is another one of those cases. And I have never, I've said this on the air about Devontae. I've said this on the air about Aaron Rodgers. I've said this on the air about every player out there. You're worth what someone will pay you. And if your goal is to get paid, go out and get paid. And that is what Tyreek Hill has decided to do. He is abandoning a team that loved him, a community that embraced him, a community that looked past all of his transgressions. He choked his girlfriend in college. He allegedly broke his uh, son's arm. He allegedly uh, threatened his girlfriend with some very foul language I'm not going to use on the radio right now. He, uh, he, he's he got all of that. Kansas City fans said, we don't care. We love you. The cheetah was beloved. Social media was just all, all upset coming out of Kansas City on my Facebook and on my Twitter feed because Tyreek Hill was gone and leaving the Chiefs to go to Miami. He did what anybody else in the NFL is going to do, not named Tom Brady. He's going after the money. And at 28 with a guy whose skill set is predicated on speed. Tyreek Hill probably doesn't have another $120, $130 million contract waiting for him after this one is over. So cash in, fine. Going to Miami, fine. You're living in Florida, fine. But to do what? Finish third in the AFC East to not make the playoffs? Because you got to imagine at least two, probably three teams are coming out of the AFC West. Buffalo is coming out of the east. Baltimore, maybe Cleveland with Deshaun Watson coming out of the north. The south stinks, but that's where Tennessee probably will reign if Derrick Henry can stay healthy. The, the, the Dolphins have mortgaged all of this capital to do what? Not make the playoffs? Congrats. That's great. Good for you. You got Tyreek Hill. You're going to sell a few more tickets. That's all you've got to show for it. Meanwhile, on the other side, what does this mean for the Kansas City Chiefs? What have they decided to do? Uh, So far, not enough. And I'll talk about it coming up next here on ESPN Des Moines. 
Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. What's up? I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World here on a Friday. Coming up, I will get to uh, Iowa State and Miami tonight in the Sweet Sixteen. Do not bet the over. <laughs> That's my only early tease for you uh, for this one coming up because you're going to have two teams that are dogs going at it uh, coming up tonight in Chicago. I was talking about the uh, the Chiefs trade, Tyreek Hill. Uh, he is sent to the Miami Dolphins. That happened a couple of days ago for a boatload of draft picks. Miami trying to push some chips in. They've got so much speed with Waddle. Tua can't throw the ball downfield. Very accurate on short and intermediate routes. They have some talent, you know, with, with Gaskin in the backfield. And now you add Tyreek Hill. Gasecki is that second tier of tight end who's more like a wide receiver. He's a guy that Tua loves to throw to as well. Um, but they're, I still cannot believe, and, and you you know, at some point you got to go for it, right? But you got a first-year head coach in Mike McDaniels. You signed Teron Armstead, maybe the best, wide, uh, the best offensive lineman in the free agency pool this year, which is good to protect Tua and to, to open up some holes. But to give up what they gave up, Five draft picks, including a one and a two this year. So now, by the way, the Chiefs have two ones, two twos, two threes, and two fours in next month's NFL draft. That is wild. They're not going to keep all of them. Because what does Kansas City do now? You know, they don't They don't have their big explosive weapon. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster earlier this week. And then yesterday they signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Two years Basically, it's a two-year deal worth 18 mil. Could be a three-year deal worth 30 with some incentives. Could get it all the way up to 36. But it is basically a two-year deal for 18 unless MVS wows them and they pick up that 30-year option. Don't don't expect that. You know, I'm a Packers fan and I've watched Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, play for the last couple of years in the NFL's maybe best offense or one of the NFL's best offenses with the guy who is the reigning two-time MVP throwing him the football and if you're a Chiefs fan, you know, I know it, $10 million a year, $9 million a year, whatever, doesn't seem like it's a ton of money. And it's not considering Tyree Kills getting 30. But MVS is about one-third the receiver that Devontae Adams or Tyree Kill actually is. And I think if you have not watched the Packers uh, like I have, I'm going to tell you right now, MVS is going to frustrate you. Packers fans learn to deal with the drops that come from from MVS, who, by the way, did not have a drop in 2021, although he missed two months of the season. But in 2020, he led the NFL in drops. That same year, 2020, the COVID year, he led the NFL in yards per catch. It's strange. It's like leading the NFL, leading baseball in home runs and strikeouts. Now, obviously, those guys that lead the major leagues in home runs and strikeouts often hit 45 home runs, and those guys make massive money in Major League Baseball. But they're also often a liability. There's somebody that is an all-or-nothing guy, and that's what MVS is. He is an all-or-nothing guy in the National Football League. Um, He is going to, if you're a Chiefs fan, 
I'm telling you right now, if you're a Chiefs fan, you are going to watch MVS week to week, and you are going to be very happy and very frustrated, all right? When you lose a guy like Tyreek Hill and you replace him with Juju and with MVS, all right, I mean, you're you're trying to patch things together here for Patrick Mahomes. And again, you know, I've said this a thousand times in today's NFL if you can't win when those quarterbacks are cheap, it's tough to fill out a roster when they cost you $40, $50 million a year. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs, $45 million a year. Look at the the Green Bay Packers, what they're paying Aaron Rodgers. Now, I know that people will say, well, money gets converted and it's not really $45 million. But look what Green Bay had to do to just get $20 million under the cap. They had to trade Devontae to get some cap space, and they freed up $20 million in Kansas City. The Chiefs had to trade Tyreek Hill. Has Kansas City done enough? No, I, I don't think Kansas City has done enough. Um, you know, having the genius of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, those two guys drawn up plays in the sand and those pop passes and everything, they should be okay offensively. I don't think they're done. I think, and I'll talk more about DK Metcalf and the Seattle Seahawks assets here coming up in just a second, but you know, those two guys, they make others better. But do the guys they brought in, Juju and MVS, do they possess the skill set that Tyreek Hill brought? We'll find out. I mean, if you watch Marquez Valdez-Scantling play, go deep. He's going to fight through his, his, his coverages. He's going to find some open space. If Aaron Rodgers hit him, he probably was going to catch it. But he probably would have a couple of drops in there that were going to frustrate the hell out of Packers fans and will do the same thing uh, to to Chiefs fans. Juju Smith-Schuster is not a guy who's going to get you 102 catches out of the year and 12 touchdowns. Both of these guys are supplemental players, I think. I don't think Kansas City has exactly done enough. Now, there is still time, and let's talk about that here for a second. There's still... Because I, you know, as a Packers fan, I see Brandon Bostick. If you remember Brandon Bostick, he is a, a former tight end that played for Green Bay that cost them a chance to go to the Super Bowl when he stupidly tried to catch an onside kick against Seattle back in 2014. But, you know, who can remember that besides every Packers fan? Um, I see people like Bostick, and I see a lot of Packers fans saying that, you know, this offense is done. The Packers offense is done. They don't have any other weapons for Rodgers to throw to. It's... March 25th, there is a lot that's going to happen between now and September, or even now and August when camp opens. Um, Kansas City now has 12 picks in next month's draft. There is no way Kansas City is going to make 12 selections in the draft. It doesn't work that way. There will be deals made between general manager Brent Veach and other GMs. Before the draft, that might mean acquiring a guy like DK Metcalf, someone I would love to see in Green Bay. He's 24, one year left on his deal. You have to extend him. You have to give him big money. Now, Kansas City and Green Bay both parted with their number one wide receivers who wanted big money. Remember, Green Bay offered Devontae Adams more money than the Raiders gave him. The Chiefs could have matched what the Dolphins gave Tyreek Hill. Hill is 28. Devontae is 29. DK Metcalf is 24. (laughs) All right? So there are years that you can pay, and I'm not a guy who gives a receiver $30 million a year, 
but I am a guy who would give DK Metcalf $22 million a year if you could say max him out if you're the Chiefs. You know, if you trade one of the first-round picks that you have coming up, I think they have 29 and 30 or something along. It doesn't matter. They've got two picks in the first round. they got two in the second round. You do a one and a two or a one and a three for DK Metcalf, boom. Now you will have yourself a big play-wide receiver in DK Metcalf, a guy who can catch you 60 balls, who's a target machine in Juju Smith-Schuster, who's going to operate in the slot, and then you have your deep threat, your your take-two-shots-a-game guy in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And you do whatever you want with me, Cole Hardman, and some of the other guys they have there. And remember, all the offense runs out of Patrick Mahomes into uh, Travis Kelsey's hands anyway. So imagine the offense right now, everyone's going to key on, I think, Kelsey. Add DK Metcalf or maybe even a guy like Tyler Lockett who will cost you a lot less in draft capital to bring him into the offense. They still need a big name. And that doesn't mean that that big name isn't in the NFL draft somewhere as well. In fact, here's RG3, Robert Griffin III from ESPN. He was asked about what Kansas City should do now in the draft once they've acquired MVS. Before this Marcus Valdez-Scantling trade uh, or, or signing in free agency, I thought for sure the Chiefs should, should package some picks that they got in the Tyreek Hill trade and move up and go grab a guy like Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. But now when you get a proven commodity that they're paying that type of money, they're, they're saying, hey, we got our speed guy. So now they can kind of use all that draft capital they got from Tyreek Hill uh, and go out and fill voids at defensive end and cornerback. All right. RG3 played the game at a level I will never understand or comprehend. But if the if the Chiefs are going to go to battle with a loaded AFC West, the Raiders, who have got Carr, and they've got Renfro, and they got Waller, and they bring in Devontae Adams. And they got Josh Jacobs, who's a stud running back when he wants to be. If the Chiefs are going to go to battle with Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, and then defensively, you got Bosa, and they brought in Khalil Mack. If the Chiefs are going to go to battle with the Denver Broncos, who just brought in Russell Wilson, have all those wide receivers, and Judy, and Patrick, and uh, everybody else that they've got, plus Javante Williams in the backfield, and that top 10 defense. If the Chiefs are going to go to battle and and their big offseason acquisition is MVS, with all due respect to Robert Griffin III, who, again, played the game at a level I will never know and I will never comprehend, they're done. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying that about a Patrick Mahomes-led team and an Andy Reid coach team. They cannot be done adding offensive pieces. Um, they have a, a problem at linebacker. They need some help on the defensive line. They're paying Frank Clark a lot of money to be good when he needs to be great. You can always add on the offensive line, sure. I think Kansas City still needs to add some kind of weapon, whether that's DK Metcalf, Brandon Cooks. Devontae Parker might be available now from Miami because they have so many speedy wide receivers, he's a guy that people are talking about as an available wideout. They cannot go to battle in the toughest division in football with Juju, MVS, and Mecole Hardman and expect Patrick Mahomes to keep pulling rabbits out of the hat and getting wins for this team. It ain't gonna happen. All right? That's just, that's that's not it. 
It's just not a thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think Tyreek Hill is incredibly talented. I think Tyreek Hill fitted with this offense because there were a lot of times when a play breaks down and the Mahomes magic kicks in and there's Tyreek Hill saying, all right, find me, find me, find me, find me. And he and Mahomes have that, that chemistry. Juju ain't that guy. MVS ain't that guy. Kelsey will be doubled <laughs> if teams are smart. They will take Travis Kelsey away. They don't have a huge threat right now in the backfield, so it's going to come down to Mahomes. And I'm not banking on winning a Super Bowl with Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling as my one and two options at the wideout spot. That that That's not going to happen. You know, as a Packers fan, I want Green Bay at 20. I, I'd love them to do the same thing that I'm talking about with Kansas City. Package, Packers have 28 and 22 in the first round. Send them, and, I, and, and from a Green Bay perspective, I look at Seattle and I say, Seattle, you're not going to win too many Super Bowls with Drew Locke. We know what Drew Locke is. We don't know what Jordan Love is, and I'm always a give Jordan Love a shot kind of guy, but Jordan Love and 28 and maybe a fourth. Send us DK Metcalf. Four years, $88 million, guarantee him 60 Boom. You know, my Packers would look a lot better with DK Metcalf, Alan Lazard, and I'm hoping Chris Olave out of Ohio State, and I hate Ohio State. But that, to me, boom, problem solved for Green Bay. Kansas City could do something similar. There are still lots of options out there. I'm a fan of Julio Jones at a bargain basement price, this version of Julio Jones. People are talking all about Jarvis Landry right now. There are plenty of options for Kansas City and my Packers. There are plenty of options for Kansas City to go out and improve their wide receiver core, even after they add Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster. Coming up, we flip from the NFL to the NCAA tournament coming up tonight Don't bet the over. I'll explain why when the Cyclones take on the Hurricanes in the Windy City. That's next here on Wicket's World on ESPN Des Moines. You're listening to Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket. What's up? Happy Friday to you. Coming up tonight, day two of the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, I officially burned my bracket. <laughs> I went outside of the box, and Iowa State fan, you can take some glory in this. I had Wisconsin winning the whole thing, and the Cyclones essentially took my bracket, lit it on fire. And it is done. So that's what happened to my NCAA tournament bracket. Um, Before I get to the clones, we're going to hear from uh, TJ Otzelberger here in just a second. You know, the game's coming up tonight. St. Peter's and Purdue is the first one. St. Peter's is a nice story. Does anybody, we all, you don't really want underdogs to win. All right. You don't really, it would be cool if St. Peter's, you know, they pull the 15-2 upset. They beat the evil empire. Nobody likes Kentucky. Nobody likes Calipari. It's great. But what people want to watch is one of the games that's later on tonight. Carolina, UCLA, the Tar Heels and the Bruins, the Blue Blood. There is no better Blue Blood matchup than that, is there? North Carolina, the history of North Carolina basketball. UCLA maybe has the greatest history of any NCAA basketball program in the history. 
that's a matchup people want. People want to see Kansas. People do want to see Kentucky, although some people really enjoyed St. Peter's winning. The TV networks, they want Duke. They want Kentucky. They want uh, they want Carolina. They want UCLA. That's what they want. They don't want St. Peter's, who is a nice story. You know, I saw that they didn't have the money to bring their cheerleaders for game one, and then somebody said, hey, we'll, we'll pay for it. They'll, they brought St. Peter's uh, cheerleaders and cheering section to game number two. Their run comes to an end tonight. It's a nice story. It's fun. It's cute. It's the Peacocks. It's nice to say, right? Oh, yeah, the Peacocks, whatever. But nobody really wants to see St. Peter's go past Purdue coming up tonight and then get obliterated by either North Carolina or UCLA. It's not what you want. It, and it's it's time for Purdue to either put up or shut up. The Big Ten has had an abysmal tournament so far for the most part. And it's time for Purdue who won 29 games, 27 in the regular season, and two last weekend to get things done. Matt Painter has been on the cusp of being in the conversation as a great college basketball coach. He's in the the very good conversation right now. I mean, Purdue's a a 12.5-point favorite coming up tonight. They should handle St. Peter's, although the Peacocks have been scrappy. They have been. They play some some incredible defense. More on defense coming up in a second when I talk about the Clones and the Canes. Also tonight, Providence and Kansas. I know Big 12 fans, uh, you're pulling for Kansas. At least I think you are in that one. And then the nightcap is the Blue Blood matchup between North Carolina and UCLA. I'm happy this is an 8.30 start, not a 9.30 start, because I wouldn't be able to stay awake for it, (laughs) as a matter of fact, if it were a late start. But I will definitely be up for this one. Uh, I, I, I've got UCLA in my Final Four. Not that it matters. My Final Four, my Sweet 16, not, nothing matters because I had Wisconsin penciled in. And what did Iowa State do last week? They pounded Wisconsin. They hounded Wisconsin. They took care of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, of all places. And that was what was so impressive to me was the defensive effort. And normally, Wisconsin thrives on their ability to grind and Wisconsin thrives on their ability to suffocate other teams with their man-to-man defense. They didn't play any zone under Bo Ryan. They don't play a lot of it under Greg Gard. But they have the Big Ten Player of the Year, and they are—they make you pull your hair out, I think. And I think most teams make you pull your hair out in college basketball these days because if you don't shoot the three very well, you don't win many college basketball games. And that is the case when it comes to Wisconsin. Hell, Cyclone fan, Hawkeye fan, you know that. Everybody shoots threes in today's world of basketball. Every level, high school, college, pros. It's almost nauseating to watch, and I blame Steph Curry. Uh, if you want to hear more on that, go back to one of my previous shows, ESPNDesMoines.com, uh, because I've I've talked a lot about the fact that Steph Curry, who is one of my favorite players ever to watch, has ruined basketball at every level because every kid thinks they can shoot 12 threes a night from the logo, and they can't because you're not Steph Curry. So here comes Iowa State and Miami. Iowa State fresh off of suffocating defense, causing Wisconsin to be like 2 of 22 from 3. They beat the Badgers in their backyard. And this is a team, I mean, I don't need to tell you the story, that won two games last year, didn't win a Big 12 game. They're undefeated against non-Big 12 teams so far this year, and that includes some big-time wins. And here come the Canes. If you didn't watch Miami play, Miami plays some serious defense. So this is one of those games where you look at Iowa State, you look at Miami, don't expect a lot of points in this one. If I'm a better, 
and I look at that over-under, and it's 133. I'm taking the under. You know, the over-under in the Kansas game is 141. The over-under in uh, the UCLA-Carolina game is 141. They both ex- they're both expected to run up the score in those games. Here's Iowa State and Miami. Take the under. Coming up tonight. Miami has three of the top five steel leaders in the country. They suffocated their last opponent. They took Auburn out by playing incredible defense, quick hands, creating off turnovers. It wasn't because they rebounded. What you don't realize, maybe, Iowa State and Miami are the only two teams in the Sweet 16 that were out-rebounded this season. I'll say that again. Miami and Iowa State, the only two teams in the Sweet 16 that were out-rebounded in the regular season. The Clones were out-rebounded by about a board a game. The Hurricanes by four and a half per game. Neither team is particularly large. Neither team rebounds particularly well. Both of these two teams play incredible defense. Incredible defense. And that is what I expect coming up tonight. Let's hear from uh, head coach T.J. Otzelberger from the hotel in the Windy City. Nothing has changed. Uh, guys had a good practice today, liked their energy and enthusiasm, and fortunate to get here safely and ready to keep moving forward. Miami, I'm assuming, is not seeing your guys' level of physicality, just looking at the numbers of defenses that they played. What is the – how much of a advantage do you feel like that is for you guys? Well, we um, – outside of the Big 12 – uh, against Power 5 teams, I think we're 8-0 outside our league, and that's 2-0 against Big 10, 2-0 against SEC, 2-0 against the Big East. So I think that's a credit to the Big 12 and how physical teams play in the Big 12. And for us, we need to try to make it uh, a Big 12 game. When you look at the teams that are still playing, I feel like playing in our conference uh, gives us, you know, we, we know how to play that game, what, what that needs to look like and how it needs to go. So we need to play the game that we can win and play the best of our advantage. And we've done that, fortunately, up to this point against non-league opponents. And we need to do the same here against a really good Miami team. Who has to play well for you guys? You know, really, it's I, across the board. Um, it's not like one specific player has to play well because we've shown we can win games with different guys doing it. To me, it's more the depth needs to be effective for us. Um, everybody needs to bring something to the table. Uh, some guys, it's rebounding, screening. Others, it's valuing the basketball. But we need to have that production when we go to the bench and throughout our lineup. It's Obviously, we know who our leading scorers are and who the guys are that have um, you know, made the most shots or scored the most points. But really, at this time in the year, it's it's your team being together, being united, playing for each other. And for us, it means getting something from everybody. And felt like that was the case uh, in Milwaukee. We're going to need it to happen here in Chicago as well. What kind of challenge do those three guards present for them? Uh, their guards present for us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they're good, man. I mean, Charlie Moore's been playing college basketball for a while. He's been a highly successful, dynamic scoring guard. Mugusty, we know well, obviously played at Oklahoma. Uh, leading them in scoring. And then Wong is maybe their most aggressive offensive player, guy who really gets to the basket. So uh, very dynamic. All three can score it big. All three have made big shots. Um, it's they're, they're a tough matchup that way because it's not those guys guarding them one-on-one really is a tough challenge. So uh, we're going to have to play great team defense and be awesome in our rotations. Multiple guys within this team, including, you know, you, Tyrese, earlier this week, and Isaiah, have all kind of noted Gabe Kelsher's leadership. Has that been more of like a lead by example or kind of a vocal thing? And how has it progressed throughout the year? It's really been both. I mean, I've been really proud of Gabe. 
he's been in, he's played in the NCAA tournament. He won a game in the tournament. He he played really well uh, when he was at Minnesota as a freshman. So him being vocal uh, is impactful for our team. He's extremely intelligent. He cares about his teammates. He knows how the game's supposed to go. So he leads by example all the time. That's something that he and Isaiah did. You know, I've talked about a lot, like the first practice we had and every day he's led by example. But when Gabe is more vocal like he's been lately, uh, it really helps our guys. Isaiah Brockington is going to have to be huge tonight if Iowa State gets past Miami. And then, of course, if they do get past the the, uh, the Canes coming up tonight, they'll be getting the winner of Providence and Kansas. And I would assume that's going to be Kansas, but it will be very Bill Self-like with a seven-and-a-half-point spread in his favor, all signs pointing towards getting past the Friars. It would be very Bill Self-like if Kansas bowed out and didn't get to the second weekend, right? (laughs) Sweet 16 tonight. Go get them, Cyclones. Coming up, we're going to stay with the same school, but a different ball. Iowa State's Pro Day was uh, this week for the NFL Draft. Here from Brees Hall and Brock Purdy coming up next. You're on ESPN Des Moines. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One hundred two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Uh, wrapping up another Friday show here on ESPN Des Moines. NFL Draft is about a month away. Oh, by the way, we have the date set for the twenty twenty three NFL Draft. Of course, this year's draft is in Vegas. Next year's draft is going to be down in Kansas City, which I think I may have to go down and check out. <laughs> You know, I was working down in Kansas City at a radio station when the announcement was made that the draft was going to come to KC. It's going to be outside Union Station with the big train station uh, in downtown Kansas City. We didn't know the dates. Now we do the 27th through the 29th of April next year. So plan accordingly. They have been working on a new airport since right around the time they announced the NFL draft was coming to Kansas City. So it's been kind of like a race against time to get a new airport built, the new uh, Kansas City Airport is going to be going up. Three-hour drive down to Kansas City. Use the streetcar. Stay downtown. It's an awesome city. And uh, the weather should be just fine. <laughs> just fine in April down there. It's amazing what three hours can do from us to them here in Des Moines down to Kansas City. But April 27th through the 29th, my birthday happens to be that week. So that might be a sweet birthday. That's a year from now. I can't even think about that. I can barely think about the weekend much less a year from now. How about a month from now, the NFL draft, where there will be a couple of Iowa State Cyclones who will hear their names called. Uh, Pro Day for the boys in Ames earlier this week, and Brees Hall should hear his name called pretty early. He is the best or, by some accounts, second best running back in this year's draft. I think he's going to make an absolute phenomenal stud. Not the shiftiest guy, but you know what? Get him in the hole, go. I think Brees Hall is going to be a real good pro, projected as a second-rounder. Here's some of what he said earlier this week to the media, including what he had to show at the Pro Day on Wednesday. Really kind of the same mentality as a combine. Just really wanted to show, come in and show what I could do, prove that I'm, once again, the best running back in this draft, and I felt like I did that again. What kind of feedback did you get after the combine, and what you want? was it something specific you wanted to work on for today? Um, I just really wanted to be more crisp on my routes and everything, and I really wanted to come out, come out here and show everybody that I could run routes effectively. 
and you know I did my routes good. I had good footwork uh, in the individual drills, and so everything was smooth. Chris, when you, when you put it into perspective, kind of just coming up through high school, college, mm -hmm. now you're working out for NFL scouts. What does this mean to you? This day is here, and you're going to hear your name called pretty soon. Um, just it's been a dream come true. You know, just being young, looking at YouTube of pro days of guys at the combine, the Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henrys, you know, Najee Harris, is looking at those type of guys. And now I'm kind of in that limelight, so it's it's really surreal. But I've been having fun with it though. How did you mentally prepare for the combine? Being such a Really just over my two and a half months uh, training, just really made football the main thing, really wasn't focused on anything else, just focused on my faith, my family, and football. So um, it wasn't hard, really, just go in every day, check the box, and make sure I was getting in everything I needed to do. Getting a sub 4-4, four four, I mean, that solidifies you in a pretty good category. Mm -hmm. uh, how, did you feel like you could run that before you, you did it, Mindy, and, and now I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I knew I knew what I was gonna do. Um, knew I was gonna have a good broad, have a good vert. Knew I was gonna run a good forty. Um, I knew it was gonna be from four three eight to four four two. So, um, not really a surprise. Just going into some of the formal meetings, coaches were thinking I was gonna run a high four four or four five, and I'm like, all right, we're gonna see. So, you know, just once again, just showing everybody what I really could do. What do you think, what do you think separates you from the other running backs in the draft? Um, just my size, my athletic ability, uh, my playmaking ability. I just feel like um, it's second to none, and uh, no other running back can do what I can do with the ball in my hands. The second name you'll hear come off the board from Iowa State is going to be Charlie Kolar, the tight end. Late second day, probably a third day guy, but you never know. Sixth best tight end in this year's draft, so maybe that second day is a real thing for Kolar. Here's what he had to say to the media. What do you feel like you wanted to show today? That I'm a much better athlete than people think I am. And I think I showed that so I could move and run and jump and wanted to come out here and show what I can do. I feel like I, I did that, so I'm going to go home, relax, maybe a few pops, have a good day. What's been the feedback so far, either today or at the combine? I just wanted to see me test and stuff. You know, he'll like my game, but you know, you want to match up the numbers with the game. And I want to do that, so that's what I did. I feel like I did today. When you've been as productive numbers-wise as you have been, is it difficult? You know, you said physically you knew that you can do, but it yeah. seems like you know some people doubt that. Is that yeah. because you know you've proven it for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like teams want to take the best player, the best athlete. So, you know, if you're socially on film, you have different stuff. And then it's like, well, what, what's the actual guy? And so I wanted to show that, like, my film and everything backs up with what I can do, explosive, nice speed, agility, everything. And that's what I wanted to show today. And that's why I was happy. Like, I mean, it, it could have been more fun with the guys. Like, these are my best friends. And I, to come, like, the, this is the last thing in Iowa State, really, and I just couldn't be more grateful to be here with these guys. How do you think plays you're prepared to for this moment? Yeah, I really, I mean, really well. Coaches and staff just getting ready to go. Um, I mean, obviously the football is more important, but it's just I'm just grateful for everyone here. Brees said what you said. It was so much fun being with you. Know, you guys are going to scatter in different yeah. stages. It was like you were all the same guys on the same team today. How special was that to have that moment? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it's like the last thing we have together. So like, we'll all go out and eat together after and stuff. It's just. I've been training with Jake, but like all the rest of the guys I haven't seen besides maybe the combine or something. So like it's just to come and like I feel like so many guys had great days. I heard I mean Jake was flying, everyone looked good. I mean it just I couldn't be happier with the people I'm here with and I'm just great just full of gratitude. You mentioned great days, what you see from Brock and those drills with you guys? Brock looked 
I can't cuss. Brock looks <laughs> so good. The ball was flying out of his arm. He's on point. I mean, he looked like he's moving well in the pocket. I mean, I think he's going to have a chance to play for a long time in the NFL, no matter what it is. Iowa State tight end Charlie Kolar right there. Expect to hear his name maybe third round, fourth round, something like that. Uh, linebacker Mike Rose expected to go somewhere around fourth, fifth round most likely. And then after that, the next name you'll hear is quarterback Brock Purdy, who by all accounts may go down as the greatest quarterback in the history of Iowa State. I don't think he made himself a whole lot of money this year uh, by improving any sort of draft stock. Here's what he had to say earlier this week. How do you think you did today? I thought it was solid overall. Um, got to show off the arm a little bit, get on the move. Um, not just take normal drops and normal routes, but like show, you know, sort of my craftiness. So I thought it was solid overall. Did you give you any feedback about that deep ball on the sideline? Yeah, not yet. I haven't talked to him about it. But it looked like he had to like get into second gear to go get it, and he did. So it was, it was sweet seeing all the, you know, players and teammates go crazy for him. So Brock, it was good. What was this experience like getting out there in front of NFL scouts? Yeah, I mean, growing up, like this is the dream, you know, to play at the NFL level. And so. When you're out here and you see all these, you know, scouts and coaches with like the NFL logo, you know, with their teams on their shirts and stuff, it's like, man, like, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm living the dream or trying to chase that dream. Not yet, but um, it's it's special. and I'm just trying to take in every moment. So you had a real varied script. I mean, you were left, right, on the roll, um, different receivers. What do you think you showed, and what do you think you what did you think you needed to show? Yeah, I think um, obviously like the script that we drew up was. To you know, have some tempo so I don't get worn out quick. But overall, trying to again, like I said, show my craftiness, um, being able to step up in the pocket, you know, flush out, hit throws on the run, and then obviously I think I need to show the deep ball. Um, I don't have a whole lot of film of, of that, so being able to air it out, you know, obviously to Brees, to receivers, tight ends, and then the accuracy, you know, within that deep ball um, is really what I wanted to show. And I thought you know today I did that, so um, yeah, that was good. You had a couple wide receivers that you're not used to trailing to. What's what's that like kind of getting in, in sync with, with those guys? Yeah, um, I mean, really, this whole this past week, we had to get together a couple times, get in rhythm, you know, practice the routes that we're going to have out here. And uh, they did a great job. They came in. You know, the, these guys are playmakers at, you know, their division and their team. And so um, I was very thankful to have them come out and, and do their thing. They did a great job of being there where I needed them to be, and I put it where, you know, they were going to be. So props to those guys. How did playing in this program and playing for Matt help prepare you for this moment? It was really special. I mean, the past four years, just the competitive nature and the 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 culture of, you know, winning, you know, our standard now here at Iowa State um, from coach, like sort of led us to this moment for all of us, um, you know, coming out here and all right, the lights are on, you know, we're all trying to play at the next level. We got coaches here, you know, it feels like everyone's watching and breathing down your neck. But, um, you know, that's the standard that we've built. And I think, honestly, like for us, I think we're living up to it so far. So um, we're excited moving forward. What's been the most fun part of this process, uh, combine to now? And what's been maybe the weirdest part? Obviously, very different. <laughs> I mean, just like the weirdest part, I mean, it's obviously testing for numbers and stuff. You know, you got a lot of people asking, all right, well, it's just going to correlate to being football, right? Like putting on pads, playing 11 on 11 football. So, I mean, you are training for that kind of stuff, which is a little different. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, you do improve your game in terms of your speed, your agility. Um, obviously, for me, like I, I honed into the mechanics of being a quarterback. So I learned so much in that side of things. And um, obviously, it helped me today. And it's going to help me moving forward, like being a professional, you know. So um, those are things that I took away from training up until this point.
It's Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy, hoping to hear his name, projected as a sixth-rounder, 13th-best quarterback coming up in the NFL draft. That is it. I am out of here. Enjoy the basketball games coming up tonight. Maybe, just maybe, next week we'll be talking about the continuation of a magical run by the Iowa State Cyclones to a Final Four. Who knows? I hope they get past the cane tonight. After that, you know, who, who knows what happens the rest of this weekend. Thanks so much for checking us out here on ESPN Des Moines. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN DSM. Thanks to Kira for keeping us on the air. Until next time, my name is Mike Wickett. This has been Wickett's World here on ESPN Des Moines.